Well, it is great to be back in the pulpit. And as most of you know, uh, I was away for seven weeks on a sabbatical in Scotland. And while I was there, uh, prior to leaving, we had, uh, I'd worked with Justin and we had a sermon series that I would start today when I return, but the elders were a part of my sabbatical team, and they encouraged me with the things that I was learning and the things that God was, was speaking to my heart, that that would be of benefit and of interest to you. And so we're going to take the next four Sundays and we're going to park and camp out here in John 15. And because I camped out with those words in me, and they're best captured in John 15, verse 4, where Christ telling his disciples, Abide in me. Uh, became my theme over the sabbatical. I had grabbed a handful of books as I was going out the door, and one of the books that I grabbed was Andrew Murray's classic, Abide in Me. And it's a series of about 30 devotional messages, but its focus is on union with Christ. And union with Christ is a is the theological terminology for a relationship with Christ. How we relate to Him. And over the next four weeks, I'm going to tell you how focusing on my being in Christ, my union with Christ, came to to strengthen my heart. How it came to give me, as it were, new life. Uh, a, a new, uh, restoring my heart, growing my faith, strengthening my confidence in what God's about in my life and I believe in the church. And this morning, as we think, the grander subject is union with Christ, our union with Christ. And that's not simply that Christ is in my heart, but that I and If you're a Christian, a son and a daughter of God, you are in Christ's heart. Christ is not simply in my mind, but I'm in Christ's mind. Christ is not in my day as I think about Him. I'm in Christ's day, and He's always thinking about me. I'm never alone. I'm never off of his heart. I'm never, I am in him. And then he is in me. And also you. This morning, we're just going to look at the first three verses. And in these three verses, there's a word that I want to call your attention to, and that's the word prune. And I want you to see the relationship that pruning has to God's providence. I had become, uh, prior to taking the sabbatical, I had become very, very impatient. Impatient with what God was doing or not doing. Very impatient with the circumstances that I found myself planted in. 
We celebrated in February, we celebrated the 10th birthday of worship as Two Rivers. And at that point, I began to, to search my soul and say, wow, a decade of ministry. God, do you still want me here? God, there's some, there's some things here that are very challenging for me, and I think they're beyond my pay grade. It's definitely the Peter principle in action. I feel so, I feel so helpless. I, I don't know how to contribute even to a solution. And, and I began to, to think maybe God is doing something to... Maybe He wants me somewhere else. Maybe He wants me to leave. And to a degree, I, I became every day more and more impatient for something to change. And I began to complain. And I repent to God and I repent to many of you that I think for many months I just became a grumble. I just became a, a complainer and a grumbler. I became very dissatisfied and I was grumbling, not about you, church, but grumbling about God. God, why aren't you changing things? God, when are you going to change things? God, change me. God, change where I am. Change my circumstances. But he wasn't. This morning, I want you to see that God is at work pruning you through the circumstances that you face. But the hand that is holding the pruning shears is your Father's hand. There's shears, and there's a work of pruning that is going on in everyone's life. Every one of us find ourselves in some circumstances that we too can be very impatient, desiring that those circumstances change. But God is at work in those circumstances, pruning us into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ, and it is His hand, it is His hand that holds the shears. Now I want you to see three things. I want you to see that indeed it is God's hand as our Father that is holding the shears. Secondly, every one of us is and will be pruned. We, we can sometimes look and think, wow, if I just had their set of circumstances, if I just had their life, well, they're being pruned as well. Their trials are not as your trials, but they have trials. In fact, we do well to, Rivers, you hear me say this often enough, that whenever we meet one another, you can assume that that person is facing a battle. It may not be the size or the same as yours, but every one of us is in a trial. And then lastly, Jesus is at work pruning us through His Word. Capital D-O-R-D. He's at work within us with His mighty Word. Even the Holy Spirit shaping us, molding us, recreating us as if a vine on a trellis to conform to His image. Let's look at these three verses um, 
First of all, you see in verse 1 that Jesus Christ is saying, I'm the vine, my father's the vine dresser, and then he goes into verse 2 to place us in relationship to the vine as branches. Now, if you look, and you don't have this printed in your bulletin, and this is why we encourage you encourage you to bring your Bibles, you can look at uh, chapter 14, the last verse here in John. It says, he is in verse 31, he says, Rise, let us go from here. And then it's in that going that Jesus says, I'm the true vine. And he has this, this uh, narrative of abiding in me like a branch abiding in the vine. And seeing my father as the, the master gardener who tends this vine. They're walking. They had just left the upper room. Judas is at this time, his feet are on the, the pavement making his way to betray Jesus Christ. So they, Jesus says, rise and let us go. So everyone stands from their reclining position. They walk down from the upper room and they're walking outside. And as, as you would find in abundance in Palestine, there's a vineyard. Now it may be a very small vine of a person's garden, or it may be a large vineyard on a large estate. But seeing the vineyard, Jesus speaks as they walk to the Garden of Gethsemane. He speaks his, some of His last words to His disciples. And He says, I want you to know who you are in relationship to Me. And I want you to see who me and God your Father are in relation to you. And he says, I want you to know and for your comfort that I'm the vine and God is the vine dresser. If we had the time, I would, I would go and I would do a side road mini Bible study of Isaiah 5. When he said, I am the vine, the disciples brought up in the synagogue, rough fishermen and tax collectors that they were, they still would have known Isaiah 5. Isaiah 5 is the parable where Israel was a vine. It was a vine planted for the estate owner's beloved, his son. But the vine, though the, the, the vine was all laid out, the vine produced bad fruit, sour fruit. And the vine became very, very unruly. And at the end of Isaiah 5, he said, it was because of Israel's unrighteousness and their injustice that I backed off as the vine dresser. And he says in Isaiah 5, verse 6, I will make it a waste, it shall not be pruned. All he had to do to make this vine and this vineyard a waste was to simply not prune it. When he said, I, Jesus said, I'm the vine, the disciples would remember, wow, there was a day that Israel was the vine under the attention of the Father, God, 
the great vine dresser. And he tended us. And he loved us. And he adored us. And he, he had us overseen by the beloved. But that long, we were abandoned because of our unrighteousness. And now Jesus says, I'm the vine and you're the new vine in me. If you abide in me. And you will not be a waste because my father is the vine dresser. He's back in the business of the master gardener. When I was in Scotland, they, they pride themselves on their gardens. And I mean a good pride. When, uh, when one of the elders invited me uh, first uh, to come over to his home and see his garden, um, growing up in Simpsonville, South Carolina, I thought he was going to show me his corn patch. But I mean, he had, I mean, his home, his plot of ground was not very large, maybe a quarter of an acre. And he had a, a rock feature and he had a water feature and he had his rose garden over here and then he had his lilies over here and it was just beautiful and the grass was so, I mean, it was like every blade was just perfectly cut. And he said, I want you to go with me to see Lady Ring's garden. It's not just a quarter acre. It's multiple acres. My friend, the gardener, opens up this garden that he tends all year. He opens it up. Lady Ring gives him permission to open it up to the public three days out of the year. And you are here during one of those days that it's opened. I want you to go with me. Well, I went with him. And he said, I also, you know, and as we went through all of the features, and it's just so overwhelming, so stimulating, the beauty and everything. I mean, there wasn't a fallen leaf on the ground that had not been picked up. I mean, and they had, I mean, everything was just immaculate. And he said, there's one gardener that does all this. It's all he does. He's the master gardener. And I'm going to introduce you to him. Well, we continued to walk and... Um, there was a guy, and he was like over here on the gravel walk. He was grubbing. He was kind of, you know, scratching some things out there. And, and he, my friend walked me over to him, and he said, um, Richard, I want to introduce you to Pastor Phil Stogner. And the guy stands up, dirt under his fingernails, calloused hands, a worker's outfit. He's the master gardener. And right on his side, or pruning shears. I don't know why I thought in my mind the master gardener would be very cleanly dressed and maybe a little more studious and have volunteers to, hey, do this, do this. I'm laying it all out. I'm telling you what to do. But no, the master gardener is all hands on. And if you look here, when you read, my father is the vine dresser, Eugene Peterson, in his translation, the message, he says, the, uh, God, my Father, is the farmer. We have a tendency, I have a tendency to think, when the pruning shears start to come to me, I start to think, painful! I don't want this! I'm growing just fine! Thank you very much! But it's my Father's hand, His very personal hand, that is holding the pruning shears. 
we, uh, there is some amount of effort every week in the bulletin to, uh, to pick some, some thoughtful quotes in the reflection section. And they always tie in with the subject of the sermon. This week I found uh, Tim Keller's particularly good of how suffering and trial has a purpose if it's rightly understood. I find that I can get into a situation where I don't consider what God is up to. Where I look at my circumstances and I let that communicate God's character rather than what God's word and what I know to be true about God's character. When we cling to God's character that He is good despite the not good circumstances, then I'm comforted. But if I judge God simply by my circumstances, then I can grow to doubt. Where is God? Why now, God? What are you doing? Do you not like me? This is so unfair. The Heidelberg Catechism. And a good way to remember this is old number 27. I, used, I remember uh, pastoring in the mountains of North Carolina where they would have regular uh, nights of hymn singing. And uh, you would, uh, the pianist, you would just throw a song and she would play it and everybody would sing. And they, everybody had their favorites. Well, they, had no, they knew this hymnal backwards and forward. They no longer shouted out the name like Amazing Grace. They just shouted out the number. Number 27. Oh, yeah, yeah, number 27. Well, Heidelberg, old number 27, answers the question, what do you understand by the providence of God? Providence is the almighty and ever-present power of God by which He upholds as with His hand. By which He upholds as with His hand heaven and earth and all creatures, and so rules them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and lean years, food and drink, health and sickness, prosperity and poverty, all things, in fact, come to us, not by chance, but from His fatherly hand. All things. The little leaf, the little blade. In Matthew 10, verse 28. Matthew 10, 28. Jesus has been talking to His disciples about persecution is going to come their way. Trials are going to come their way. Life-threatening situations are going to come their way. Their finances are going to be touched. Their physical health is going to be touched. Their relationships are going to be touched. Everything is going to be touched. And he says, do not fear. Do not fear those that can kill the body or cannot, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear Him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And then He gives us an image that He wanted to comfort His disciples with. You're going to face persecution, but are not two sparrows sold for a penny 
and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your Father, your very personal Father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, he says again, therefore you are of more value than many sparrows. I don't know, I don't know the, the pruning shears touch on your life right now. It may be finances. It may be physical. It may be a relationship. It may be mental. It may be other. But it is in God's hand. He's not on the throne scratching his head and saying, I didn't see that coming. In fact, He is permitting it. It may be evil that has come into your life, and He did not make it, but He permits it. He will use those shears as well. And it comes to us all. I think when I was uh, looking at these verses, it was a uh, rainy, cold day, and I had built a fire. And I struggle with Scripture memory, but I decided to commit the first three verses here of John 15 to memory because I had a hike uh, of some hours later that day if the weather changed. And so I was looking at the Scriptures, looking at the Scriptures, and then I went on my hike. And something that I had never seen before was in verse 2, it says that every branch that does not bear fruit Well, he takes that away. He prunes that, okay? And then, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. When you do this, it's fun. YouTube vine dressing or pruning vineyard or pruning vine. Don't do it now. But uh, you're going to see... Very, it's very easy to do, it involves some work, but it's, it's easy enough to, to do that there is a, there's the main vine, and then it splits to run along the trellis wire, and that's called a cordon. And then growing up from that cordon are what are called canes, or branches. And they prune two times a year. They prune in the fall of the year, and they remove the dead stuff, but this would have been the pruning in the spring of the year. It's after the harvest, and they're pruning the live stuff. And that's what's so dramatic when you watch a YouTube of this, is they're not simply getting rid of overgrown, dangling stuff, what we might call you know stuff that needs to be pruned, but they will come, and there's still grapes on part of it, and they'll prune that. It's radical. I mean, it's, I saw this and I'm like, really? Even though I'm, I'm fruitful and I'm good, I got some good stuff, you're going to prune that too? Yes. We all agree that God should come and prune. And I pray, Lord Jesus, for my addictions and my sin and the flesh that He will prune those things that I might bear the image of Jesus Christ. And we agree with that. 
But it's when he starts to prune in the good things. I mean, my finances are good right now, and he's going to prune them. An unexpected bill. I mean, my health was good, and all of a sudden, there's something gray on the x-ray. We need to look further. I, was, I have a great relationship, and all of a sudden, one wrong word, and we're on the outs with each other. God, what are you doing in the good places? He's pruning them. He's pruning them that we might, very purposeful, bear more fruit. Samuel Rutherford uh, is famous for his letters. I doubt if you've ever read a sermon, or you certainly wouldn't have heard him preach. He was one of the Puritans. But during the, the time of, in, in Scotland and also in England, but primarily in Scotland, when the Puritans began to preach, there came a point where they basically were removed from the pulpit. And Samuel Rutherford was removed from his pulpit and he was placed in Aberdeen. He was banished to Aberdeen. And there were no Puritans there that he could have fellowship with. But while he was there, basically a captive in Aberdeen, shut out from the ministry of preaching, he began to do the only thing he could do, which is write letters. And they are wonderful. They are wonderful. Every preacher has in his library, or should, the collection of Samuel Rutherford's letters in a book form. Samuel Rutherford's letters are what really made him famous, but he didn't know that at the time. And his friends, in writing with him, consoled him and said, man, you got to get out of there. That, oh, this must be such a hardship. You are isolated there from... The, the, the community that you love and from the church that you love, you're just, man, you're, you're a prisoner there. And he wrote words that are very comforting to me. The great master gardener, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, in a wonderful providence, with his own hand, planted me here, where by his grace, in this part of his vineyard I grow, and here I will abide till the master of the vineyard think fit to transplant me. Now, on a good day, I can say those words with joy and say, I don't, I wouldn't have planted me here in this set of circumstances but I can take heart that my father by his own hand master gardener that he is planted me here and I will grow here and I will grow here with joy and confidence that I am right where he wants me he is mindful of every trial that I face that I will be here until he moves me and then I have a day where I'm like, oh, you planted me here, but I don't like it. And I grouse and I complain. Or I even say it stoically. That's what preachers can do. Yeah, God's sovereign. You've got to love it. But Jesus is telling his disciples, going forward, God, God is going to, 
God is placing you in unity with me. In union with me, the vine. And you are going to grow under His provident watch care and hand. And yes, His pruning will be such that in time you will even come to welcome the pruning even when you're fruitful. Knowing that it's for that purpose that when you see that YouTube, it's amazing. I mean, they trim this thing. They go from... I mean, it's just this huge vine. All of a sudden, it just looks so bare. There's a lot of good stuff that they left down there. No, they did it so that the the vine can maximize the nutrients and the focus to each one of those canes. But we have to trust that God knows exactly where to trim, when to trim, what to trim. And the way that he does it is through Jesus' words. I'm going to take up here uh, next week. But let me, let, me, uh, let me just tell you how he does this. Because you see in verse 3 that you are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. The word for word there is logos. John loves the Word. It's John's birth narrative in chapter 1 is not a stable scene, but it's this great cosmic Word. And the Word is a person. The Word is not simply the spoken Word or sounds. It represents a real person. There's two words for Word. We see them in John chapter 8, verse 43. Why do you not understand what I say? That's one word for word. It is because you cannot bear to hear my word, my logos. And then he goes down and he says in verse 47 of John 8, whoever is of God hears the words of God The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. What he's saying is this, is we can be people who simply hear but don't hear. That we have knowledge, we we read or we hear a sermon, but it's like so many sounds. In other words, Jesus is saying something but we're not understanding or grasping. Or we can hear and say, this is real, this is truth, this is Jesus. And one way that he maximizes this is through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives us a pruning, convicts us when we read or we hear sermons or we're in Bible study, when we when we meditate on God's Word, when we take God's Word in, the Holy Spirit can begin to, to prune us, can begin to, like in the Father's hand, can convict us of sin. Wow! I see that I am judgmental. Not simply am I able to recognize people that are judgmental. I've always looked at that Scripture and said, yeah, those judgmental people, they're going to 
Judge not that you be judged. But I began now to see myself. But also the good news of the gospel. That we are completely forgiven of our sin through the person of Jesus Christ. A good word. A good word that shapes us. And it causes us with all humility now to trust further in God and what He is doing. This It's interesting to me that when He taught this, He was walking. And as He's pointing out the vineyard, and the vine dresser over here are evidence of a vine dresser, and He's saying, you know, the Father's at work in, on the vine and in the branches. The pruning shears, they're in His hands. And He will prune us all. He will shape you all. And it will come through my words to you. I I am in you. I'm a living word in you. And then they come into a garden. And it's in that garden that God, the master garden, comes to Jesus Christ. But the pruning shears that He holds out look like a cup. It's a cup of His wrath and His judgment for sin. And Jesus Christ looks at those pruning shears and these pruning shears will not simply lop off a few living branches. This pruning shear will separate Him completely from God. Sever Him from God. These pruning shears will separate him from life. Jesus looks at those pruning shears and he says, is there another way? Can this cup pass by me? But then we see him press in, press in to the pruning shears with surrender and says, in your hand I can trust. I'll trust. I will die. I will come under those shears. I will drink this cup. And then we have the fruit. The fruit from this true vine is us. By His death, we have life. By His becoming sin and the curse, we have forgiveness of all of our sin. And then He turns to us now as He turns to these disciples and He said, will you continue to trust My Father's shears? Will you press in to surrender in the circumstances that you find yourself in? Will you hear My words? Will you follow Me? Will you abide and stay in Me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, This table represents Jesus Christ's trust in your sovereign plan and providence. He modeled, and He also, Father, is now able to come to us and say that whatever circumstances we face, 
we are not separated from God our Father, but because He was separated, we shall never be. That we can lay claim to the truth that God, You are our Father. And that You, Father, will use those shears in our life and You will use the trials in our life and You will use the circumstances that we find ourselves in that we might have a life that is fruitful, that does honor You, Christ, and it reflects Your life. By Your life and by Your death, give us life and shape us and strengthen us. And may we be found without complaint to trust the work that You are doing in our life. For it is for Your glory and it is for our good. As we do pray in Christ's name, amen.